Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Chapter five, verses one through six. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, Revive, we are in part four of our series, Life-Giving Wisdom. And I have a message for you entitled, The Family as the Vehicle of Wisdom. Let's get into it. Part one. Two countercultural insights to life. So we have two passages. They're not hard to understand, but they're so ignored in our society. Two countercultural insights to life. Part two, I want to talk about um, a little story that I want to offer you called A Midlife Crisis. Part two, A Midlife Crisis. Many of you are young and you don't quite know that maybe at some point in your life, if you're not following after wisdom, you're going to feel very restless. And you may not be sure if you have lived your life well. And I want to give you some words from somebody who felt that way, okay? A midlife crisis. And part three, I want to close by talking about the greatest family maker ever. I think you probably know who I'm talking about. The greatest family maker ever. So let's get into this passage, and I want to um, emphasize a couple portions here. So um, verse 3 from chapter 4, and it's, this is the way the Bible presents how people gain wisdom. And I want you to see just not exactly what is said, but in how it is presented. What is the way, what is the vehicle by which the wisdom is passed on? So listen, verse 3. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. So he actually he, he says wisdom is like a woman. He, he, 
he goes and personifies, at least this is the way it's presented in God's word, that wisdom is like a woman. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. So let me just stop for a moment here. First observe, where is it coming from? It comes inside of a family. So first, he's talking about something like I gained this wisdom from my dad when I was with my mom. My father and my mother are there. So you have your father, you have your mother, the words from a father to a son, and now the son is a father. This is the way it's being presented. And then he says, get wisdom. And wisdom is presented not just a series of ideas, like something you can put back on a quiz or a test or an SAT exam. There's no GPA here, okay? This, this is, wisdom is presented like a woman. And here's what he says, do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her. It isn't just something you get inside your head. You have to love the wisdom. Love her and she will guard you. And then listen, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> That's interesting. You want, to, you want to start with wisdom? Well, then go get wisdom. But w w wisdom is sort of like, like, like a beautiful woman that you might want to marry. That's kind of the way it's presented. And um, some of you are like, oh, well, I don't really know how to go after a beautiful woman that I would like to marry. That's kind of like what the, what the wisdom is like. In other words, it's not something that's an idea in your head. It's about a way that you go and proceed in your life. And it's something about what you love. Love her and she will guard you. And then listen to, listen to the, um, the promises. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. So you have to prize her. You have to embrace her. And then she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So let me just uh, paraphrase this. If I were just trying to simplify this, um, it, it would be something like this. It's chapter four. You need a dad and a mom. You need to hear the words of your father. Keep and treasure these words and wisdom from your father and your mother and love this wisdom more like, like a lovely woman that you're pursuing for your life. Not just some kind of, it's like there's something really important given to you by your mother and father. So that's the first thing, right? So you need a mom and your dad. Your mom and your dad isn't just trying to give you some of these ideas. I want to get this, I want to get that and just, um, I want to get, get return to that in just a second. Now let's go to chapter five. Chapter five, um, there's a lot there and I'm going to say a little more about chapter five. Well, I'm sure if I'll, I'll do it, I'll, I'll draw it directly from chapter five next week. Um, but chapter five starts to get into a second point, which starts to lead to something I want to address next week, which is more about how do you go and pursue a good marriage and family. Today, really, I'm, what I'm trying to argue for is you need family. You need family more than good grades. You need family more than achievements. You need family more than a great career. You need family. And some of you will be single, which is fine. In that case, God gives you a family. It's his family. It's the church. If you don't have a mother and a father, you know what God does? 
He says, I'm, your fa- I'm the father to the fatherless. You know what he does? He gives spiritual fathers and mothers. He's the first father. And then out of the church, he gives fathers and mothers. So nobody is bereft of this. But if you are, don't have this, it's a hole. Because the most important vehicle by which you're going to get wisdom is missing. Now listen to chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Here we go again. It's very similar. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Now pay attention. Verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is uh, the word for hell, which signifies death. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't even know it. So let me, let me just paraphrase um, part two. Avoid sexual sin. And avoid those who would entice you towards sexual sin. They're the ways of death. So it's just really simple. You need a mom and a dad. You need the words of your father with your mother. And then go pursue it like the love of your life. Point number two, avoid sexual sin and those who practice sexual sin. Not too hard, is it? Now let's just stop for a moment. Some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, pastor, did you really need to say all that? I mean, isn't that just kind of just really super basic uh, biblical teaching? And the answer is absolutely yes. But I want to point something else out to you. Who else says this? Who else says this? Maybe <laughs> if you have Christian parents, or at least just wise parents, because if your, your parents don't even need to be Christian to have this wisdom. But if you have wise parents, they may say this. Who else says this? Does your school say this? No. They say the exact opposite. At least the public schools do. You know when they start? Kindergarten. <laughs> At least my local district. They t- start telling you the exact opposite in kindergarten. So the messages from schools, the messages from your company, the messages on TV, the messages in the movies, the messages in the music, everything from the messages from your universities. All the messages teaching you completely the opposite of these two key points. These two key points will lead you to a wise and flourishing life. If you go the opposite way, you're asking for trouble. You're going to break your life. On the point of the sexual sin, the Bible is very explicit. You're going to a pathway to death. That's the way the Bible puts it. So I want you to say a little something about this. Who loves you more than your mom and your dad? Does the pop stars love you more than your mom and your dad? Do your professors care about you? Do the teachers care about you? Do the textbooks care about you? Let me tell you something. They don't care about you. <laughs> but your mom and your dad, and I'm not even talking about some great mom and a dad. I'm just talking about your average C minus stumbling, bumbling, decent mom and dad. The average mom and dad would, in a blink, if their life or their child's life, if that was a choice, my life or my kid's life, you know the average mom and dad will see? I die. 
let my kid make it. You know, I'm a dad. It, it wouldn't even be a hard decision. I would die if one of my kids' life was at stake and I had to die so that my child would live, I would die happily. Why? Because that's how much you love your kids. So the most important wisdom is coming from the most important people with the greatest stakes who care the most. But everyone else is screaming the opposite. And let me tell you something. What does the Bible say? This is the most important wisdom there is. So I want to say this. This is wisdom. This is life. This will, if you want to have a really great life, it's telling you right here. It is, you do not need a PhD. You do not need an MD. If you don't need seminary, you can read it yourself. You can easily understand everything I just said. But you know what's the hard part? Living it. The hard part is loving wisdom. The hard part is not just having it up here like it's some cognitive piece of dead knowledge. The hard part is loving it. And then when all your friends, all the teenagers, when the, all the school and everything that's hip and cool tells you exactly the opposite, the hard part is basically saying, no, I ain't doing that. I've got a better way. I don't, you don't need to be mean about it. You don't need to be rude about it. But I'm honestly getting a little bit more rude about it. I'm getting like... Like really bad words come to my mind when I want to basically tell the world to basically get lost. When I think about all the young people that I have pastored over the years, they're in the church. Every single one of them, as far as I know, knew this in their head. You know what percentage of them follow this? Well, it's not 90% or 100%. And if you said this to them when they were teenagers, you know what they would say? Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Let me tell you, they don't know. The real test of whether they know is if they will love wisdom and if they will pursue wisdom, the important decisions they make in their life. That's how you know if you know. Now, I'm going to say a little something um, now, our culture says all this other stuff. You belong to yourself. Go get a career. Build your own identity. If you have this great career, if you have this great name, you will have a great and exciting and happy life. Let me tell you something that's mostly, I don't mean to be mean about this, it's pretty much mostly garbage. It's all about self. It's about narcissism. It's about pride. It's about self-glorification. You gotta go find this thing. And by the way, it's really good for corporations to enslave you, to pressure you, to make you work really long hours to chase their carrots. It's really good for all that. Get them to fear them, not to have great awe of God. <laughs> not to, to it's, like, it's great to erase the wisdom you get from mom and dad. But, oh yeah, autonomy, Radical individualism, make up your own identity, have your own you know, career and, and, and build your own identity upon all this other stuff. No. Pursue and understand that your family and in family, your future family, that's where you're going to have a real life. It's not even close. It's not even close. Your jobs, you can like flip back and forth. But your family, that's the place where there's real wisdom. Now, let me say something that I don't mean to be a little bit mean to my kids, but um, 
I say, this, I say things like this to my kids. And you know what they regularly say? All three of them, okay? So I'm not saying that anyone. They all say, I know, Dad. You said that already. <laughs> That's what they say. Oh, I heard you say this. You said that like five times, okay? And, I always, and um, you know what I think whenever I hear them say this? I'm saying, well, my Father in heaven says things to me like 20, 30, 50, 100 times. If you read the Bible, I don't say this to my kids, but there's a part of me that's saying, well, if you weren't such dumb kids, you'd read the Bible more. <laughs> and then if you read the Bible more, you would know that the Father in heaven, who's a lot better dad than your dad, repeats himself a lot, far more than your dad. You know why our Father in heaven repeats himself a lot? Because we're crazy dumb. <laughs> that's why. Because we're always thinking, Oh, you know, Pastor Young preached on, on Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not, do not lean on your understanding. But all our life, that's exactly what we do. That's what we do. I lean on my understanding. I'm the king of my life. Self-lordship, self-fulfillment. Oh yeah, well, church, that, that, that's good. And then it becomes this dead knowledge in the head, not a love that we treasure and pursue. Now, my kids aren't, you know, they're not exceptional. They're just completely normal. The thing that their dad says five times, 10 times, 20 times, it's annoying. I get it. When I was their age, it was annoying to me. <laughs> and, and then kids are, like, kids are really dumb. They're, you know what they always think is cool? They always think what's cool and what's fun is interesting. What's cool and fun is interesting. You know who tells them what's cool and fun? Their peers. In other words, other stupid people. <laughs> And then, you know who else tells them what's cool and fun? The culture. Which tells them exactly the opposite of what's truly wise. So all you young people, so whether you're 25 or 35 or 15, I don't mean to be mean, but can you just please stop saying you know. If your mom says something to you five times or 10 times, or your pastor says something to you 10 times, don't go, I know, I know. Trust me, you probably don't know. <laughs> you think you know, but just pride. <laughs> the real test is coming. The real test is coming when you hang out with your friends, when social media just starts dumping on you, when you make real important choices in your life. Who lets you, who, who's, who's gonna influence you? What are you, what's going to be more important? Your, my career is going to be so important. I watch young people in their 20s. They put massive amounts of energy on their career. They have like zero wisdom on how to find a good spouse and how to start a real family. Well, maybe not zero, but close to zero. Some of them have negative. Like, it's like I would say they're in the hole. It's like what they know, if they think they know, they're so sure it's actually totally wrong. And they're so sure, they, they just, just by, by, by faith, they just think they know, like, all oh, this is going to work out for me. I'm going to find perfect love. I'm going to have a great family, a great life. Really? Where's the wisdom? And I don't say this to you to be mean. I know I sound like a crotchety dad or kind of a cranky pastor right now. I'm kind of cranky probably because I've been, you know, spending too much time in the house and COVID's getting to me, all right? But I'm kind of cranky about this because... I really love you. I pastored a lot of young people over the years. And 
They fail this wisdom. They all think they know it. A lot of them fail. And then when they get older, they're hurting. It's common. So parents, I want to say something to your parents. If your kids don't like you, when you repeat, just tell them to shut up and just keep doing it. You don't have to listen to Susan. Follow our Father in heaven. Because we're up against the whole world, the devil, and the culture. Give them real wisdom. Give them real wisdom. Trust me, they're listening, even if they don't want to listen. Get it in there, and then pray like crazy. Pray all the time. Pray all the time. Lord, please let my kids have ears to hear and a heart to receive and pursue real wisdom. Love wisdom. Honor it. Embrace. Now I want to say, I want to close out this part one with a little bit of advice to, some, to young people. Right? So I already said this. If you are um, if you're in your 20s, I want to just, let's just make this as blunt as I possibly can. Think about marriage. Pray for a spouse. I'm not talking if you're 28. I'm talking like you're 21. I'm not kidding. If you're, if you're a woman, you should really especially be doing it. Why? It's just not fair, but it's just real. There's a thing called the biological clock, and it's real. And there's a thing called the marriage market, and it's real. The older you get, the number of choices of men who will be interested in you will shrink. I don't mean to be, scare you, and it's not fair, but that's, it's real. Care about marriage. Now, I'm just saying that because I know that most of you probably want to get married and have kids. Now, some of you may have a gift of singleness. So you're single. You're like, well, does that mean I'm like second class on my life? No, of course not. No, 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 no. <laughs> there is no place more that honors singleness than the Bible. <laughs> the Bible honors singleness. And so you're saying, well, you know, everybody still needs family. So you're like, well, if I don't get married, then where am I going to have family? You get God's family. <laughs> the best family. You're God is father. And then you get to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. And you get to do this for other people. But the pathway to life is not, oh, I'm single and I'm just going to go get the super career and everybody's going to think I'm so dang cool and everybody will like, you know, worship me on social media all the time. Come on. It's going to get really old. Even if you are successful, you need a family. And some of you are thinking like, well, it sometimes feels like I'm a second-class citizen inside the church. I get it. Churches are built for family. Why? Because the vast majority of people need family. They're going to get married and have children. So, you know, when I say the vast majority, I'm talking like 90 plus percent. So, of course, you're going to feel like everything is built for them. But just because the church isn't necessarily good because the majority is for families... Don't ever think that you are second-class citizens out of the church. That is absolutely not true. If we make you feel that way, please forgive us. But don't, don't listen to or feel it. Get, don't trust your feelings. Don't pick it up from your fellow human beings. Because what do they know? Listen to God. Jesus is single. Is he a second-class citizen in his church? Come on, it's his church. Paul was single. Is he a second-class citizen in the church? Absolutely not. 
And so God, do you think he goes, oh gosh, these single people. Yeah, yeah, just get in the back of the line. You're junior varsity in the, in the church. No way. Trust the Bible. Hear it from God. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust the, the, the social circumstances. Go to your church. Be, make it your family. And walk in this wisdom. Please. Please. Now, some of the young people are going like, okay, I need some advice on how to get to find the wife and husband. Okay, okay. Next week, okay? <laughs> All right, next week. Not for, not for this week, right? Um, part two. I want to give you a story. And um, I'm going to go back to uh, the book that I uh, drew from last week. Soul Man, S-E-O-U-L, Soul as in the capital city of South Korea, Soul Man. A memoir of cards, culture, crisis, and unexpected hilarity inside a Korean corporate titan, written by Frank Ahrens, A-H. R-E-N-S. And um, I want to, you know, t tell you about this part. He has this beautiful epilogue, and the book is framed around what he calls three midlife crises. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's actually really insightful. He thinks Korea is going through a midlife crisis, and he got a front row seat into what's going on in the culture. Hyundai's company that he worked for for several years was going through a midlife crisis, and he was going through a midlife crisis. So just a quick little background on him so you can understand this part I want to share for, about you. He did not get married till he was 46 years old. He became a Christian in college, but then he didn't follow Jesus for 20 years. He didn't go to church and follow Jesus. And he was quite frankly, he did a lot of dumb things and he lost out and he has all these regrets about the way he handled uh, relationships with his, his former girlfriends. But then he finally, God blessed him, met a beautiful woman his name, her name is Rebecca, and I actually find her really compelling. <laughs> I think she's like the, one of the, the most admirable, one of the most remarkable people in the book. But the Lord blessed her. They get married. He's 46 years old, and then he upends his whole life because she wants to live overseas. She gets a job working for the U.S. Foreign Service, and he gets a job working for Hyundai, and he's in a midlife crisis because he's 46. <laughs> now he's in his late 40s like floundering around, he's really uncomfortable. She's excited about living in a foreign culture. He's not. He likes his American comforts. He never was interested in living in a foreign culture. And then he goes in, and then at the end of the book, he comes to this, and one of the things he's really wrestling with is, how will I even know if I have made it out okay on the other side of the midlife crisis? How do you even know that? How do you know if, I, if you handled it properly? Then that I'm, I'm running and living my life well. And I want you to hear this, okay? It's like you have to read the whole book to kind of get this, and I, I'm sorry, you're not going to feel the weight of it, but I want you to hear this. Frank Ahrens is you. You're like, wait, he's, he's white. He's white American. No, it's everybody. Every educated American with all these opportunities, at some point, you're going to be middle-aged, and you're going to take stock of your life. And you're, some of you are going like, I'm 15 years old. Why do I have to worry about being middle-aged? It's coming. You're, I'm 25 years old. Why do I have to be middle-aged? You're going to blink and you'll be 35. <laughs> you don't believe me. You're going to blink and you'll be 35. And you're going, wait a second. Soon I'll be 40. <laughs> I'm almost 50. Now listen. 
Here's how he puts it. Frank Ahrens, right? Um, uh, all right. As a husband and father and no longer an aging YOLO bachelor, that's what he called himself, right? Hashtag YOLO bachelor. Because he's 46, he gets married, and then they have a daughter, and it's actually really hard. He, 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 there's like multiple chapters because... Um, you know, his wife gets reassigned. She ends, up in, <laughs> she ends up in another country. It's pretty tough. Right? She ends up in Indonesia. He's in Korea. Uh, he goes and visits his daughter once a month, and his daughter doesn't recognize him. I and mean, that's what it was like when he first... But then, you know, the way the, they finally end up together. Here's what puts it. As a husband and father, and no longer an aging hashtag YOLO bachelor, now as an accountable member of a church family and no longer an outlier of the faith, now as a leader of a business team and no longer a journalistic observer. He used to be a journalist, and then he, used to, then he worked on a business. I came to understand that my identity, the person I was becoming in my second act, that is post-marriage, was completely enmeshed with and dependent on others. Let me say that again. Completely enmeshed with and dependent on others. It's exactly the opposite of the way our culture tells you. Don't be dependent on others. It's all on you. I've become, odd as it sounds to say, a little bit Korean. This is a white American talking. And here's what he means. In, Koreans, in Korea's hierarchical Confucian culture, who you are at any given moment largely depends on your relationship to who's around. Let me say that again. Who you are largely depends on the relationship to who you're around. You are something like a cultural chameleon adapting to environment, showing deference and respect in one direction, authority and leadership in another. In the West, we are taught that we are individuals above all. Heck, just that's it. That's, like, that's all we need, right? Our identities are either inherent in our being, either by gender, color, height, weight, intelligence, or they are crafted, handcrafted by accumulating things, money, connections, ideology, experience, fame. Either way, we stand at the center of our world and announce ourselves loudly. <laughs> you announce yourself on so social media. And if people don't like you, then they're erasing you, they're oppressing you, all this other stuff. It's very self-centered. He goes on. This is how I lived most of my life. This is how we all live, because we're Americans. It doesn't matter what race you are. Now I've come to understand that my identity is, in fact, based on my relationship to God, my family, and others. My identity is not dependent on my profession, my salary, my nationality, my home state, my college sports team, or anything else I used to think defined me. I've become a husband and a father, and I'm good with that. I read an awful lot about parents bemoaning the loss of their identities when they become parents. They talk about no longer being able to enjoy their hobbies or have the kind of intense political conversations they had in grad schools. I can sympathize. I used to ride a motorcycle. I really liked it. It was fun. There's that word, fun. <laughs> but now that I'm a parent... I'm probably not going to ride a motorcycle again. I have too many people depending on me. It's one unnecessary risk. 
and extra expense I can cut out of my life while significantly lowering my wife's anxiety. See, actually, you care about what they think. Somebody else thinks. Somebody else who needs you. But am I less of who I am because I no longer ride a bike? Of course not. Once I became a parent, I stopped doing a lot of the things I used to do when I was single. Not just dating, and that's as it should be. I now answer to people other than myself. And it turns out that my selfishness as a single man was overrated. As a parent, I get to do so many more satisfying things with my family than I ever got to do when I was single. That's something I never saw when I was unattached. I surely did not believe it when my happily married friends explained it to me. They, I mean, literally, people say it to your face. They're married, they say it to your face. I've been single and now I'm married and this I have found to have enhanced my life. Marriage and family, like the most important things in life, are leaps of faith. Brothers and sisters, why am I sharing this? As I look around at the people that I see in our society, people in our churches, people are afraid. Afraid of marriage. Afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid that it won't work out. They've seen so many other people where it doesn't work out. And they are so, they get so picky. It's, 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 I think it's very, very ironic. The longer you put off marriage, you, you get more and more picky. Well, guess what? They're getting picky toward you too. You're getting less attractive because you're picky and older. But family is the vehicle for wisdom. It's the place to receive it. It's the place to practice it. One of the most important ways a vehicle is that you have to have somebody you love more than yourself. You have to have somebody you'd be willing to sacrifice for, to die for. Somebody that you will say is so precious to you that it does not matter if the whole dang freaking country says something else, you will do anything and whatever it takes to give the best to these people. That's a pathway to wisdom. You need to have that in your life. To love the wisdom so much, you will fight for it. To love the wisdom so much, you annoy the heck out of those who love. Because the annoying, the annoyance is worth it. They don't get it. My kids are too dumb. They don't get it. Dad is annoying because, because I love them. <laughs> Not despite that I love them. Because they're a lot dumber than they think they are. <laughs> And we're up against the folly of the world. And you know what? Let's go to the close of my sermon. Somebody else did this. Not because I'm so good. Somebody else came not to be served, but to serve. He did not come to say easy things to us. He did not come to be liked. He came to give us wisdom Wisdom, which he will sacrifice his life for, he did sacrifice his life for. He did not come to give us a class. He did not give, come to give us a job. He did not come to give us a corporation. He came to make us his family. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Son of God himself. The Son of God himself sat before his Father. 
saw everything that his father was and is and kept it and loved it. Then he went out into the world and then said, I'm going to form the family of my father. You know, the gospel, a lot of times, if you think about it in primarily individualistic terms, I sinned. Jesus came and paid for my sins. That's really, really good. By grace, if I accept him, I get my sins forgiven, and it's good. Then I can have a nice life. And then normally, we just go, good, now let me just try to like manage church and try not to make it too, too um, you know, overwhelming. Or, oh, Bible, well, you know, you know, we have to kind of get, but mostly I'm interested in, well, my own life. But have you ever thought that the gospel is that God intended to form a family? God intended to draw you into his family. God intended to give you his heart and his love, and he made the family the vehicle for wisdom itself, and he died to make this happen. And he died so that inevitably, when we are so dumb and we do not accept his wisdom, and we go running off on our own, and we do dumb things like listening to the forbidden girl or just listening to the whole world, which is really, as the Bible puts it, like the prostitute, not the real bride. Because we love listening to the prostitute of the world. When we go and do that, Jesus says, I'll die. So I could wash you with that. That all your foolish life, all your dying life. See, it's not a question of, you know, when it says this thing in chapter 5, in chapter 5, it says, okay, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Now stop thinking about it's a, a, a physical woman. Think about that there's two, there's two voices. The voice of real wisdom, God's church and bride. And then there is the voice of the prostitute, Babylon, of the devil. That's the way the Bible puts it. We love the prostitute of the world. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. It's cooler than the Bible. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood and you're going to go down to death. You know, there are a number of you, we regularly go to this pathway but Jesus did not just come to give us wisdom. He came to be the wisdom. He came to rescue us from this death. He came to take this death away. He came to take our dying life and die with him so he could give us the flourishing life, the truly wise life, his family, in which real wisdom will flourish to give you family so that your life can flourish and all of these promises. So brothers and sisters, follow the Bible. Follow God. Listen to your parents, even if they're annoying. And not the world. Stop thinking that the world is cool or fun because that's not that important at the end of the day. Seek wisdom. Embrace wisdom. Love wisdom and get life. Let's pray. Lord, 
to a foolish people. I'm sure some of the older people in our church, I bet you some of the young people in our church, they just think, oh, they're, they're, they're really good Christians. If they actually had some good conversations, some of the older brothers and sisters, they would go, oh, gosh. I wish I could do certain things over again. But thankfully, Jesus was there. And he turned my death to life. I pray you would protect our young people. Our six-year-olds, our 16-year-olds, our 26-year-olds, our 36-year-olds. We pray, Lord, for real wisdom. We pray that your spirit would surround us with supernatural power and make us a gospel-centered family, a truly wise family. That the lips of the forbidden whore of the world just bounce off us and go, nope, we got better ways to go. Your family, your ways, your power. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Even if we have screwed up our lives, you come to forgive us and wash us and renew us. And for all the young people, we pray that you give them great conviction so they would remember these things today. And when the real test comes, they will pass with flying colors and live a flourishing life from you. In Jesus' name, amen.